You're listening to 89.9 KCRW. I'm Madeline Brand. It is a rainy weekend here in L.A., so let's keep dry with some new movies. Joining me now to talk about what to see and what to skip, we have Whitney Seibold. He is senior staff writer at Slash Film and co-hosts the podcast Critically Acclaimed. And Amy Nicholson hosts the podcast Unspooled and reviews for The New York Times. Hello. Hello. Happy rainy day. Hello. Okay, first up, a caper comedy that stars Bryce Dallas Howard as a spy novelist who gets pulled into an espionage plot, not unlike those she's written about in her best selling books. It's called Argyle. Whoa, hey, there's a cat in there. Oh my god, you're Ellie freaking Conway. Author of Argyle series, Ellie Conway! such a fan oh yeah what is it you do espionage would you sign my book this also stars sam rockwell henry cavill dua lipa it's directed by matthew vaughn who directed the kingsman movies all right whitney what did you think I mean, I, I kind of loathe Matthew Vaughn as a filmmaker. Uh, he has a, a weird tendency to make these really brightly colored, briskly paced, energetic, music-infused action pictures that have absolutely no personality or energy or excitement to them whatsoever. This might be his best yet, which is not saying much. It's still not very good. Bryce Dallas Howard, as you said, plays a spy novelist, and it seems her novels are getting a little too close to the truth. She's just sort of intuiting the stories a little bit too well, which has attracted the attention of an evil spy agency. And the spy novels she writes don't seem terribly interesting, so those spy action sequences are incredibly generic. And I can't tell you what movie this film is kind of ripping off. Otherwise, that would constitute a spoiler. But it's very, very similar to another Samuel L. Jackson picture from a couple of years ago. Uh, that Not Snakes on a Plane. Not Snakes on a Plane, unfortunately. Okay. So we have this wonderful ensemble cast. You have uh, Brian Cranston is in there. Catherine O'Hara is in there. Uh, all of these wonderful actors really giving their all into this ostensibly exciting spy story. And you come out feeling just drained and bored and completely uninterested. Ooh, all right. Even though, Amy, there's a cat in a backpack. I mean, I liked the cat in the backpack, even though the cat (laughs) is so CG looking in some points that it almost feels like he's just saying, yes, this is a CJ cat. Get over it. The paws are four times too big. What is happening? (laughs) This film is so over the top that I kind of find it oddly in balance as like just a piece of popcorn entertainment. I mean, I definitely tuned out a bit when it's going through like the spy mechanics of how do we get from point A to point B. And it is definitely fair to say that the emotions in the movie could be deeper. But it's a little bit fair also to say, who cares? You know, this is just a a film that is like very clever, very flip. It's not trying to be deep and emotional. It's trying to be lighter PG entertainment. You know, Matthew Vaughn is holding himself back from like that terrific fight that he had in um, Kingsman, that bloodbath in the church where there was a woman with like mm-hmm. razor blades for legs slashing everybody. There is no blood in this movie, but he does still, I really felt like towards the end, put in the effort to make each big fight feel surprising and feel really visually striking. And there's just this fight that leans on people using colorful smoke. And Matthew Vaughn is not above shaping the smoke into hearts. And it's just that oh. kind of movie. You know, why not? Why not? Let's just go for it. Argyle going for it with a cat in a backpack in wide release beginning today. Next up, we have a British movie about three teenage girls hoping to have the summer of their lives. It's called How to Have Sex. 
What's your name? Tara. I've not noticed it before, but you're proper beautiful. You two are two of my best friends. Gang, gang, gang. All right, Amy, school's out, and these British lasses head to Greece to party. One of them, Tara, is feeling peer pressure to have her first sexual experience, and then uh, it doesn't look like things pan out well for her. Tell us more. Yeah, this is just a phenomenal debut film from a director, a writer-director named Molly Manning Walker. It, it won the Uncertain Regard at Cannes uh, this year. And that's the award I really like. Like the palm is for the heavy hitters that usually go on to maybe be an Oscar contender. In certain regard is where the weirdos come from. And that's what I like to watch. This is about three British teenagers who go on holiday. And I think it is a little important to note here, you know, life does happen a little faster for kids in England. You know, they're Mm -hmm. like 16 is the age of consent. 16 is the age where you're like taking tests that set the course of your future. And so 16 is when they go on this holiday that is Maybe this is a 90s reference. It's like how we in America think of like Daytona MTV spring break, but exponentially wilder. This whole thing takes place at a resort in Greece. And she shoots it like the way that these kids would see a resort in Greece, where you're looking at the pools and the trash streets and the nightclubs. You don't see like a single blue roof in a beautiful white building anywhere in this. It's kind of like Uh. a wasteland because these are kids who don't care about culture at all. But really what this film is about is it's about, you know, these teenagers amping each other up and all trying to act more worldly than they are in a way that includes the boys. You know, nobody wants to be the buzzkill is really the idea of this party or of this film. And so it's about a party that just keeps going long after it stops being fun. Whitney, what did you think? I was astonished as well. I, I really love this picture. I think what uh, what the filmmaker um Molly Manning Walker really captures is that fear of being a buzzkill, that embarrassment. Uh, there's a lot of uh, close-ups of the lead character's face. Her name is Tara, and she uh, is constantly uh, questioning what's going on. She's constantly uh, sort of sizing her friends up. Uh, there's a sort of warmth between the friends, and we can kind of see where that warmth ends over the course of the movie, how she needs a lot more emotional edification, and she's just not getting it. And as she kind of pushes herself to become more of the party girl, she realizes how disconnected she is from all of this. And I think that's a ver- really relatable experience, kind of going to the party and realizing you want to leave, but you can't because your friends are still there. And that's where most of this movie takes place, where you want to go home and you can't yet, and where mm. some really bad things start happening when you're in that space. It's not horribly harrowing. It's not just about damage and pain, but it is about that awkwardness and that embarrassment and and a lot of the uh, more harrowing experiences you might have had as a teen. Okay, How to Have Sex is in select theaters beginning today. Next up, a comedy called Scrambled. This is written, directed, and stars Leah McKendrick as a 30-something woman who is always a bridesmaid and never the bride. I go to weddings and baby showers every damn weekend. When are you going to give me grandkids? Talk to your firstborn about grandchildren. I don't want him procreating. No. That's a terrifying thought. Yeah, nobody wants nobody that. Nobody wants that. I don't have a man or any legit prospects. What have I ever done? Am I not suitable for life? You are very suitable for life. Okay, Whitney, so Nellie is trying to decide whether or not to freeze her eggs. And uh, what did you think? Uh, it, it's This is uh, very clearly, uh, it's not her first feature, but it's very clearly an early feature in, in uh, the filmmaker's career. Leah McKendrick uh, wrote and directed. And she uh, 
is still figuring out what the tone of her film is is going to be because parts of this film are very broadly comedic. She has you know dinner scenes with her family. Her dad is played by Clancy Brown. He's incredibly insensitive uh, in a comedic kind of a way. She tries to be very sexually frank about where her life is at this point. But then at some point we start to uh, switch over into how lonely she feels. She feels like her romantic prospects are drying up. She's an Etsy jewelry salesperson and that's not cute anymore when you're in your early 30s. You really can't make her, you know, make ends meet in a practical kind of a way. Uh, and over the course of the film, we start to learn more and more about one of her exes, Sean, the one that got away. And how mm. when he got away, how that really kind of damaged her. And she was at first a little too hip to acknowledge that, but then is starting to realize that, wait, there's a lot of complicated emotions she's trying to go through. But then the film will flip back to something really kind of broad and, and sexual and slapsticky in a way that interrupts that bit of emotional arc. So tonally it's a little off balanced, but I feel like the emotional frankness really kind of pushes it through. And this is her directorial debut, Amy, and she's also stars in it. What did you think? Well, I do appreciate, I think, the courage it takes to do what she does, which is embrace creating and then playing this, you know, immature-ish character who can be grating and exhausting. And you're rooting for her, I would say, only slightly more than you're rooting against her. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, like, party girl who's sort of realizing, like, oh, being a fun train wreck isn't going as well for me now in, in my 30s. It's leaning a bit hard on trying, I think, to capture what this moment is like, probably for like a chunk of people who are thinking, you know, how do you save money and get ahead in the society? How do you find a job that has fertility benefits, you know? But at one point that she gets drunk and regresses and gives herself an early aughts Mandy Moore makeover. And that just seems sort of for fun. Like we're doing it. We're going back in time to like nostalgia. Whitney's definitely right that the film gets kind of wobbly tonally, but there are moments on each side of the tone that I really did like. The film opens very strong with like a really, really funny wedding sequence that is all comedy. And then later on, when you do get this one scene where she has this peek into a life that she rejected, I also found that scene and kind of the complicated feelings it stirs up really moving. So there's good stuff in here, but it's a film that I think is still, you, you see a director finding out who they want to be. Mm. Okay, so the film is its title, Scrambled, <laughs> in select theaters, <laughs> Ta-da! beginning today. Finally, a DreamWorks animated fantasy adventure written by Charlie Kaufman, the Charlie Kaufman. This is called Orion and the Dark. You know how many kids are afraid of me? You come watch me do my job for one night, and you'll finally see that I'm nothing to be afraid of. Are you in or are you in? I'm... Pretty great, right? Orion, I'm gonna get you to overcome your fears if it kills me. And I'm immortal, by the way, so I've got all the time in the world. Okay, Amy, this is based on the book of the same name, Orion and the Dark, written by Emma Yarlett. And Orion is a scared kid. He's afraid of the dark. And then the dark pays him a visit. What did you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is Kaufman for kids, but Kaufman is one of my favorite brains. So, hey, reel them in young. It is a movie made for a very, very, very young audience. The kid here, Orion, he's just a kid who's like terrified of everything. He's one of those fearful Kaufman protagonists. You can see why he wanted to make this film. You know, he's scared of everything from clogging the toilet at school to the nothingness of death. Um, and so, yes, then he goes on this adventure with Dark. And for a little bit in this film, you're feeling like, oh, is this just, you know, riffing in the Pixar mold where he's meeting characters named Insomnia and the Unexplained Noises and Quiet. 
But there are bits in here where you really see the Kaufman fun come out. There's like a protagonist switch. There's a testimony in the middle of the film about how people make stories for kids that keep things too simple. And how can you complicate these? Because even kids know when they're being lied to about the world being an easier place than it is. So while it feels a little predictable, I think there are these clever moments inside of it that I like. And then the third act, of course, gets deep and lovely and then a little Rococo and rushed with a very Kaufman-esque flourish that I don't feel like it completely needed. I must admit, I did do a double take to make sure it was the same Charlie Kaufman who wrote Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Whitney, what did you think? I really adored this. This, this is, you know, bleak existentialism for kids. Uh, you know, Orion is such an interesting protagonist in that he is truly fearful. He's not just shy or a wilting flower. He is afraid of everything. He is truly neurotic. And the funny part is, as he has these adventures with this anthropomorphized version of Dark, we learn that Dark itself is also kind of neurotic because everyone is so afraid of him. And I can't think of a more Kaufman-esque concept to put in a kid's film, that the thing, the Dark that you're afraid of is actually also resentful of his place in the world. I love those kinds of concepts. It's really kind of bleak and strange. It's the kind of uh, movie made for strange little kids, and I love those kinds of movies. And just like Charlie Kaufman, and just like Amy said, there is this protagonist switch. There's these weird kind of uh, meta-narratives and time jumps that you don't expect coming, and they start interacting in these really strange ways. So it's it's really, really fascinating. It's really strange. It's really excitingly bleak for children. I love a bleak existentialist film for kids. That's yeah, the way they should yeah, be yeah. raised. I agree. Well, I, I feel like kids like to be scared and like to be sad more yeah. than they might let on. So scary movies for kids, sad movies for kids are really appropriate. Yeah, it I feels agree. like everything's been so patronizing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm tired of the message, you know, be yourself. Well, what if myself is really terrified and sad and scared of everything? Orion and the Dark, streaming on Netflix beginning tomorrow. Whitney Seibold is senior staff writer at Slash Film and co-hosts the podcast Critically Acclaimed. Amy Nicholson hosts the podcast Unspooled and also reviews from the New York Times. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 